Wanderers. We're coming to the music, well, the music road, the music section. We're going to hear this <laughs> yes. banging tune from Republic that you've been telling me about. But it's also raining, so I'm a bit worried that that's going to interfere with the acoustics. <laughs> <laughs> so do we have to be in a specific lane for this? Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is on the right, right side of the road, and 80. Okay, we have to go 80k per hour. Okay, don't no pressure, but don't mess this up. All right. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty excited about this. <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. tragedy of that is, that is the one memory that is going to stay with me about Hungary. It's going to stay with me forever. Brilliant. You're listening to Kilometer Zero by The Cycling Podcast. Powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. I don't know what, what costs would be involved in in, in getting the, the, the start of a Giro, but, but clearly it's another part of this this ongoing project of using sport to, to promote hungry. So it's now Thursday morning. Last night was the team presentation on our first day in Budapest. And now I've headed across town, uh, across the centre of Pest, in fact, to a bike shop. A bike shop come cafe, come well, workshop as well, called Mester Bike. And I've heard this is a bit of a hub of cycling culture here in Budapest. And I've got an appointment with the owner, the guy who started this place called Andras, and he's going to tell me a bit more about cycling culture here in Budapest and tell me also how much, if at all, this city is looking forward to the Giro d'Italia starting here tomorrow. This is the kind of bike coffee shop that you would find in all sort of Western European yeah, yeah, um, yeah. cities. The, the bikes have become very cool and the, the two things go together, coffee and cycling. But here it's, it, is it, would you say that it's quite niche? Uh, you mean it's like uh, unique here? It's like... Yeah. Yeah, 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 pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, when we, so before we opened this, yeah, I, uh, I saw many... Uh, Places like bike and cafes in Western Europe, like uh, Look, I'm No Hands yes. in London, and uh, some in Germany. Uh, I know that the our government spent a lot of money to uh, to have the, the Giro here, and uh, you know, so originally we uh, wanted to organize it uh, two years ago, but because of COVID, it was just cancelled, and. Uh, I think it's I think it's cool I think it's cool but um, there are so many nice places in Italia in Italy uh, so I, I don't really understand the reason so for example if I would be an Italian I don't really understand the reason that why from Hungary So my name is uh, Rokobiakov. 
uh, obviously I'm Hungarian and I'm working as a graphic designer slash uh, social media manager for this shop called uh, Mesterbike. And I got involved in cycling like 16 years ago. I started out like a junior rider. Uh, I mean, probably an under 23 rider. And then when I, I shifted my career towards graphic design, I got heavily involved in the graphic design part of cycling. I mean, I, it started out with designing my own team's jersey. And from that point, I just started to get uh, clients, mostly from uh, cycling and, and, and sports, other sports as well. And it just grew on me. And now I'm, I'm a freelance graphic designer. And uh, a big portion of my clients uh, are involved in sports as well. So my biggest client right now is uh, the Tour de Hungary, which is the Hungarian uh, equivalent of the Tour de France or Giro d'Italia. It's short, it's just five stages. And my other uh, big client right now is Ottila Walter. Uh, guess uh, everyone is familiar with his name now. So this is the ninth uh, district of Budapest. This is south uh, from the city center. Uh, I got to say it's a little bit uh, of outside of the central, but uh, this is uh, like the true historical Budapest and not the, not the one which is um, very popular among uh, tourists. So it's a bit more uh, hardcore-ish. And uh, it just got uh, better to live here in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, before that, it was kind of a, a shady, uh, shady part of town, but now uh, it gets uh, much, much, much more better. Um, Second-wise, all kind of people you can imagine. So, starting from just a regular commuter to to the, to the basically the virtual racers, the, the virtual riders of, of Hungary. I know that uh, Bonabash Park is a regular here, for example. He, I guess he lives nearby when he's at home, but uh, you can meet almost everyone from the top of the Hungarian um, cycling bunch. To be honest, the whole Budapest is not suited well for riding. And even the, the brand new infrastructure has serious questions about its quality and uh, the wealth of uh, for example, there's a horrible uh, road furniture all the way uh, sectioning up these new, newly built bike passes, for example. So, yes, Budapest is not uh, that good on bikes, but can you name another big city like Budapest City which is perfect for uh, riding a bike? In? I, I don't think so. That's, uh, that's even possible. And so let's get to the Giro d'Italia. Obviously, we were supposed to come here two years ago. Um, what did you... Were you surprised then when Budapest bid for the Giro d'Italia and got the Giro d'Italia? Um, yes, it, it was kind of out of the blue. This was a big surprise, almost everyone. I heard the rumors before, obviously. But I thought it's just uh, some of the bike-crazy people trying to get, uh, get involved or stuff like that. It's, uh, it has strong, strong ties with the Tour de Hongri. So the organizer team, I guess, almost the same. So there are people who work for both and they're using uh, each other's uh, infrastructure and knowledge that's important as well. Um, 
but yes, it was a big, big, big surprise. And how do you personally feel about it being here? Yeah, I have strong uh, mixed feelings because I see this as, a, as kind of a sport washing. It's a, it's a, it's a good PR event for our government, which has uh, serious questions uh, all across the EU and uh, almost worldwide now. So you can just enough to think about our relationship with the Russians or our relationship with the Ukrainian. Um, so we are closer to things on the, the Qatar side of, uh, of things, I think. This is my personal opinion. Closest to things on the uh, Qatar side of things. When uh, Qatar holds the World Championship and uh, holding any sport events in Qatar yeah. is basically just uh, sport fishing. So I have a strong mixed feeling. I work a lot in, in, in the Hungarian cycling uh, culture or industry. And I think if some of my work led to this point, mm. but it would have been nicer and better if uh, this would have been a, a, an organic thing, you know, mm. uh, organized from the bottom. Mm. There were no need uh, for such, a, such an event. I mean, in the in the mass uh, in the masses in the in the public opinion, that's my opinion. So it's kind of forced on on, on Budapest. Mm. We obviously bought our ticket to to hold the Giro here, and uh, this should be a topic uh, widely discussed. I think there have been events in that have happened in Budapest the last few years where there have been you know whether it's LGBT. BTQ um, demonstrations and things like that. Have you heard anything? Do you think we'll see anything at the weekend of that nature? Uh, interestingly, I don't think so. Because uh, that's the reason. Cycling is still not that popular here. It's not on the Giro level. To be honest, Giro is not uh, the mainstream cycling race. It's, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I love the Giro, but to be honest, it's a B-tier race uh, compared to, to Tour de France, for example, or the World Championship. So the, the strong voices who always stand on the, on the, I mean, on the left side of things, uh, the media, are not really interested in the Giro d'Italia because it's, it's, it's just uh, not their cup of tea. They don't really know what's going on, what is this race, why it's mm. held in three days, what, is this, mm. uh, what are these road closures all around, all around the city. So I don't... I don't really think so. There will be big protests alongside the road. And just last thing on this, usually when we talk about sport washing, we assume that it goes right, that it comes right from the top. And in this case, possibly Orban himself. Do you think that's accurate in this case? Um, yeah, I think he and the, and the top of the government was presented with this idea of the Giro d'Italia. And they just uh, grab on it. They see the opportunity to see, see this is a good option yeah. to, to do something with the PR of Hungary. Mm. Giro d'Italia is always strongly about tourism. Mm. Even in Italy, uh, it's about wines and beautiful landscapes. And it's the same in Hungary. You can see the parallel yeah. here. So I, I guess uh, that, was the, um, that was the reason. Well, Lionel, we heard Jakob in the cafe there use the word sport washing. What is sport washing and is it valid here? 
well, I mean, I'm not the arbiter of the exact definition, but to me, sports washing is an attempt to use the shine and sparkle of professional sport to distract from less palatable things that politicians or states or even corporations want to push into the background. The troublesome thing for me is where does the line fall and are there lines or is it just a sort of, you know, a, a, a fading of different values one to the other because what's the difference between a company that wants to sell products or project a positive image of itself and a state wanting to be associated with something that's glamorous and fun so that people don't immediately think of repression and dictatorship and Lionel in the case of Hungary a lot of this queasiness where it comes about due to a few things the internet is awash with political commentators talking about the erosion of democracy in Hungary over the 12 years of Orban Viktor Orban the current leader's rule he's just been re-elected last year in June there were laws passed in Hungary which sort of mimic similar laws that have come into force in Russia um, under Putin about LGBTQ rights and well they've called it the child protection law and it's basically about conveying a, a very traditional very conservative image idea of what a family should be and that family um, according to these edicts consists of a man and a woman and it's the you know it's that very very traditional and conservative image as I say now the EU winced at this en masse so much so that Orban had to or decided to hold a referendum in conjunction with the election last month in which he asked Hungarians what they thought did they think that families consisted of strictly speaking, man and woman and their children. And well, the response that came back was, well, if you look at the percentage of the people that voted in favour of what he was saying, it was very high. However, a lot of the ballot papers were spoiled to such an extent that the referendum was considered invalid. So that dispute, that particular dispute between the EU and Hungary is ongoing and there will be further repercussions, I think. Also of some concern to a lot of people is Hungary's position on the conflict, the current conflict in Ukraine. They've taken a lot of refugees from Ukraine. They've got a border with Ukraine, but at the same time, they're not giving any military aid to Ukraine. And the Ukrainian foreign ministry has even accused Orban and the Hungarians of helping Russia in the war. So those are a couple of the policies that people are concerned about, um, people further afield, people outside um, Hungary. There are other issues, um, issues about the freedom of the press, free speech itself, corruption, um, some of which, some of these complaints, some of these things you hear about a lot of Western European countries as well. But now we get to the Giro and Italy and Hungary. Now, if you're an Italian, when you've generally heard about Hungary in the last few years, it's been because of a politician called Matteo Salvini and his relationship with Viktor Orban. Now, to explain who Salvini is, we've enlisted the help of someone who we've had on the podcast many times before. He's an expert on Italian culture, history, politics. John Foote of the University of Bristol, the author of many books, including one on cycling, Pedalare, Pedalare. And he's got one coming up this summer. It is Blood and Power, the Rise and Fall of Italian Fascism. Here is John. So Matteo Salvini um, is the leader of what's called now the Lega, which was called the Lega Nord, which is a populist party, one of the first populist parties to emerge in the world in this phase, but right emerged in the early 90s around the time of the collapse of the Italian party system in a corruption scandal. 
And he, he became leader and really shifted the focus of that party to a national party. It was a regionalist party and above all focused on immigration, anti-immigrants. His main message is I'm against the immigrants. Um, and, you know, that's he's been pumping out that message on social media for a number of years. When he was briefly Minister of Interior, he actually had all the, the boats of, and it's very typical for the UK at the moment, he tried to stop people um, crossing the Mediterranean to Italy physically with the, the Italian Navy and, and various things. And he got caught up in all kinds of controversy and court cases. He's a big fan of Orban. Orban's a big fan of him. They're very close allies also in, in the European Parliament. Um, they're pretty much preaching the same kind of message. Um, and, and, and that, you know, there's an attempt to build a kind of populist alliance in Europe around Salvini, Orban, the Polish, uh, who's in charge of Poland at the moment, the Pen to some extent as well. And what is, so we, we all know that the Italian political system is, well, at the best of times, for an outsider, it can be quite difficult to figure out. What's the current status of Salvini? What, what influence role um, does he current have in, currently have in Italian politics? So when he was in power in the last election, um, there was uh, the Italian electoral system at the moment is it's almost impossible for anyone to win. They produced a system where no one can really win, or if they do win, they have to be in a in a very broad alliance with parties they probably don't agree with. The last election, um, 2018, if my memory is right, <laughs> COVID has done my memory in. Um, the Five Star Movement, which is a populist movement, and the Lega won the election. They hadn't stood together and they governed. Um, and Matt Salvini was interior minister, which is the peak of his political power. But then it all got went to his head. And one summer he decided, uh, he was literally standing in his bathing costume giving press conferences. It was a very weird summer. I was on holiday in Italy at the time. And he decided that he was going to resign because he thought he was going to win the election they were, they were an election would be called, he would get 40% and he would become prime minister. It all went wrong for him because the other parties joined together against him and he was pushed into opposition. So at the moment he's in opposition and in some ways he's being outmaneuvered by a kind of Italian Le Pen type figure, Giorgia Maloney, who is the, the heir of the kind of neo-fascist party who are actually ahead in the polls. So Salvini's position is not as strong as it was, but he's still getting... 20% in, in the, the opinion polls. He's in opposition. He, he's had a very bad pandemic because he was all over the place on the pandemic. And so he's, he's struggling to kind of reconnect, I think. I think there's quite a lot in it for both of them. And we're talking about, you know, the prime minister of a very powerful country who sees Salvini as his ally and, you know, ideological ally. And there's a kind of attempt to build a, a, an anti-European European populism, mm. you know, anti-EU, but within the EU, and if Le Pen had won, that would have made it extremely strong. So I think that it's it's something, it's a block of countries. Hungary is a very crucial country to it. And they are also very much on, on immigration, very much allied on, on building a kind of fortress Europe situation, although the Ukrainian war has thrown out a bit into crisis. So I think it's, um, Hungary has always played a, a strong part in Italian politics. I mean, 56, the revolution, the uprising against Soviet regime, had a massive effect in Italy, partly because of the strong Communist Party, where there was a massive split over whether to continue to support Soviets or not. But, you know, the proximity, the connections, the cultures, 
um, you know, the Habsburg kind of legacy, all of that is still there, much more than in UK where Hungary is like nobody really, it, it's not on the, or not on the agenda. It is very much in Italy. Still gassing on fueling, not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter, never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Good morning, everybody. Sam Brand here. Um, so we're just heading to breakfast now uh, before stage one of Tour of Hellas uh, to be here driving change in diabetes. Um, for everyone around the world affected by diabetes is, is a phenomenal experience. It's not our first time in Greece this season, but uh, first time in Crete. So uh, let's do stage one, give it gas, give it everything and see what we can do. Uh, get a good feed in now and um, be ready. Hey everyone, Sam again. So we just arrived at stage one, sign on time. Um, it's a warm day, uh, mid 20 degrees, uh, 23, 24. Uh, hot, no clouds, still as. Should be a strong stage, lots of climbing today. Um, we'll give it all, you know, with the heat and the acclimatization with the diabetes and the management, we'll have to be on top of it all. So um, that's something we always are on top of and something, <clears throat> something we're used to and something that we have to sort of dial in. So um, that's one of the things of living and racing with diabetes, uh, showing what's possible, but uh, looking forward to, to seeing what's possible today, riding well to protect the leaders. And yeah, we'll give it our all as always. Thank you. I have a little bit of mixed feeling, of course, um, but the most important I enjoyed was it was incredible today. So many riders came to me to say what's going on here. This, they expected a Grand Tour, but this was uh, maybe something more here. It was uh, maybe a revolution for cycling and was incredible. I told my uh, friend Eric Vetter from uh, Evolo, If I get one euro for each person who said my name, I can build. A, I can buy the castle next to the start. Really, it was was incredibly, incredibly nice. I, I can't well, Lionel, Attila Walter there talking about a revolution for Hungarian cycling after stage one. Certainly, jubilant scenes weren't there up there at Visegrad. Lionel, over the next two or three weeks or two and a half weeks, we're heading back to Italy and. A lot of hand-wringing, I suppose, about the Giro being in Hungary. But over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going through a lot of places in Italy where, well, we've heard who Matteo Salvini is, we're going to be going through villages and towns where he is the most popular politician or you know, someone of a similar political orientation to, to him, Giorgia Meloni, who's another high-profile right-wing politician in Italy. And, you know, by the same token, for decades, the most the most powerful man, probably the most famous man in Italy as well, was a guy called Silvio Berlusconi, who, you know, would say things in public like, I'd rather be a lady killer, or a ladies' man, than gay. And everyone just sort of chuckled at this at the time, and it, there was never any question about this, you know, reflecting on the Giro d'Italia and its right to take place. Well, as you said that, I just thought about the UK's Prime Minister and some of the comments that he's made in the past about minorities and... Uh, and some of the comments he's made in the past about gay people and Muslims in particular spring to mind. I won't repeat them, but 
I, I think that's the thing. You know, we're being invited to apply scrutiny to Hungary, and rightly so. I think it's right that we ask questions about any country that hosts a major sporting event like the Giro d'Italia, as we did when the start was in Israel a few years ago. But I think that that then means that we have to be open to the scrutiny of the companies that are sponsoring the teams, as we have done in the past, not for a, a while. We haven't done a, a, a free boss... Um, what was it? A, a ethical report. Ethical report, wasn't it? And I suppose the thing that's just in my mind is that the, the actual Tour de Hungary starts in a few days' time. There'll be a stage race in Hungary... Some of the same teams will be taking part. I know Bike Exchange are taking part in that. They have the um, last year's winner, of course, Damien Housen, who we heard from on the podcast a couple of days ago. And I think if we're not careful, it starts to sound like uh, Hungary is, you know, it's not appropriate that Hungary should host a sporting event. Uh, so what are we saying? Are we saying that the logical conclusion to this argument is that there shouldn't be a tour of Hungary and that it doesn't have a right to have a national tour? I mean, that, to me, seems like an enormous overreach. But at the same time, uh, a, a sporting event as big as the Giro d'Italia you know, really has to kind of open its eyes and accept that um, you know, equality and diversity are not just words on a press release, they are actually values that, that, that have to be um, you know, abided by, respected and projected. Well, Daniel, we've done quite well to keep the conversation away from football, but football is... Kept it away from cycling as well, for the most part. Indeed, yes. But football is the most popular sport in Hungary, and I went to the Ferencváros game on Wednesday evening, and the atmosphere was quite lively. I gather that had I been able to translate some of the chants, I might have been a bit shocked by what the ultras shout. Um, I didn't hear any booing of the black players, for example, but apparently uh, some of the chants are uh, pretty unpalatable. Um, I spoke to Jonathan Wilson, a very fine author of a lot of excellent football books and also a book called The Names Heard Long Ago, How the Golden Age of Hungarian Football Shaped the Modern Game. And I asked him about the link between football and politics in Hungary, about Viktor Orban's support of football and about whether the country's decision to host the start of the Giro is part of a sports-washing strategy. I mean, it, it's complicated, but there's there's definitely a pretty unpleasant right wing edge to elements of the support, and this is where it gets complicated. You know, Orban in the last sort of ten, twelve years, by offering massive tax breaks, has encouraged the building of a huge number of stadiums. I think the biggest handball arena in the world has just opened. So Budapest now has six or seven pretty good football stadiums. Not necessarily big ones, but they've got the Pushkas Arena, which hosted games at uh, the Euros. Ferencváros' ground is, I think, was uh, maybe maybe slightly predates the the Orban initiatives, but is obviously a you know a, a very nice sort of what 30,000 capacity stadium. Orban clearly harks back to to the the golden age of Hungarian football, which I think you can say pretty decisively came to an end in 1956 with the uprising. I think he's very aware of the soft power potential of sport. Hungary's hosted world championships. In, in aquatics, in various kinds of wrestling. When COVID restrictions meant that English and German teams couldn't play each other, Budapest stepped in, said we'll host it. One of the outcomes of that is the crowds are going up. And as crowds go up, you get a more diverse, more middle-class um, uh, dynamic demographic. Uh, and so that's actually started to dilute the, 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 the real unpleasant 
ultra culture. But I mean, we saw it during the Euros that the, there is this group, the Carpathian Brigade, who I think would be very pro Alban. Uh, they all dress in black t-shirts, they're very easy to pick out, and they are very racist, homophobic. You see them with street de demonstrations, uh, and that led to all that hoo-ha when Hungary played in, in Munich against Germany. So they got the coloured panels on the outside of the stadium, so it's you know, white when Germany played, red when Bayern played, blue when 1860 play, and they wanted to do it in rainbow colours, and UEFA wouldn't let them because they saw that as a, as a political uh, gesture. Uh, but the, the point was to, to hit back it. A, 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 the homophobia of the of the Carpathian Brigade, which had been evident in the first two games, which had been played in Budapest. It, it is this awkward dynamic that you, you do have this hardcore support who are very pro Orban, and yet Orban's investment in, in infrastructure has, in a sense, diluted yeah, that, that, that element. The Pushkas Arena's hosting the Europa League final next season. He, he's very, very keen to host any sport. And, and you know, I, I do wonder... I mean, you know, he won the recent election very convincingly, so I don't know. I, I sort of keep running into the sense that maybe maybe I'm imposing my sort of Western European liberal values in, in the wrong, wrong circumstances. But I, I, I do wonder how long people will accept this when... Inflation is, is going through the roof when there's been uh, some degree of rationing of meat recently. Um, I mean, not a permanent situation, but, but there have been issues with that. I think increasing problems caused by uh, people fleeing Ukraine, uh, particularly in a, in a state that has been very anti-immigrant under Orban. The fact that Orban is so obviously allied to, to Putin, um, problems with, with the EU... All of that is suggesting to me massive economic problems which are beginning to be felt now and will be felt, I think, worse in the near future. Now, maybe with the state control of the media, maybe the bread and circuses angle is enough. But you suspect that sooner rather than later, people are going to sort of see through this and they're going to start in the same way yeah, you saw in Brazil in 2014 that the people ended up really resenting the World Cup and, and then in the Olympics in 2016 as having sucked all this money out of a budget that probably wasn't quite big enough anyway. Um, and and you, you don't need six football stadiums in Budapest. Why, why, why is the government subsidising that? So, you know, I, I, I don't know what, what costs would be involved in, in, in getting the, the, the start of a Giro, but, but clearly it, it's another part of this, this ongoing project of using sport to, to promote Hungary. There's obviously such historical links between Italy and Hungary. It, it sort of, it somehow feels less egregious than, for instance, the Football World Cup going to Qatar, or you know, Spain holding its its uh, its Super Cup in, in Saudi Arabia. And yet, I think you come back to this same fundamental point that, and again, you, I I don't know what the cycling authorities, I, I don't know what their their stated policy on this is, but certainly FIFA have have statutes which talk yeah, very eloquently about about diversity and how they will not tolerate yeah, any kind of prejudice and then they give a final to a regime that, that's passed legislation that, that clearly is prejudiced and clearly goes contrary to those statutes so if those statutes didn't mean anything then you, you can only give these events to 
countries that match those standards. By giving the World Cup to Qatar, by you know, the, the Spanish authorities giving, giving a Super Cup to Saudi Arabia, you're suggesting that, that these statutes are at best lip service and at worst just out and out lies. So after our little chat the other day, Anders, I hope I'm pronouncing that more or less correctly, probably not, um, I'll probably lapse into calling him Anders for the rest of the day, but Anders of Mester Bike, the bike shop I went to on Thursday, he has offered to take me to the start of stage three in Kaposvar because Anders is from Kaposvar, has spent most of his life there. So it's going to be, an, I guess, an emotional day for him, certainly very exciting. We've got a long journey from Budapest to Kaposvar and I will undertake that journey with Anders and maybe he'll give me a little bit of local colour, tell me where we're going, what we're seeing and what to expect today on the route of stage three. Hi Andras, how are you doing? Busy day, busy day. Busy day, it's going to be another busy day today. But we're heading to, well, we're heading to your hometown, aren't we? You yeah, very yeah. kindly offered to give me a lift. How, how long is the journey going to be? I think maximum two hours. Okay, interesting journey. We're going to see much on the way or is that, that's going to be later. The riders are going to see some of the, you know, the beauty of this region later on. Not so much for us. Yeah, uh, during the during the uh, our way, you, you we will see the uh, Lake Balaton and uh, and my home <laughs> home country, <laughs> my home county, uh, Shomaj County. Yeah. Um, well, I'm looking forward to it. Let's let's get my stuff in the car and let's set off. And I can see signs as well for Croatia and Slovenia. Here, yeah, yes. yeah, this way. Yeah. And you must have done this journey thousands of times because you grew yes. up in. Uh, Yes, I, I, yes. I'll let you pronounce it, the, the town where the race is starting today. Kaposvar, Kaposvar, yeah, it's like Kaposvar, yeah. Var, var is for, that means castle. Yeah. But it's uh, very funny because there is no castle at all. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be a castle, but uh, a small castle. But uh, during the, you know, the, the Turkish era, Yeah. it was in the... And the uh, 16th century. Yeah. Uh, they were here for 150 years. Okay. Yeah. So it was just destroyed. So. Um, we spoke on Thursday about this Grande Partenza and your feelings about it. Well, two days in, particularly after yesterday in Budapest uh-huh. with the fantastic crowds. What? Are your feelings now? What were your feelings yesterday watching that? Were you proud to be Hungarian? Proud to be from Budapest? Yeah, or living in Budapest? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a it was a bicycle festival. Uh, it, it, it looked like a bicycle festival in the last in the last two days. So it was really uh, good to see so many spectators uh, spectators around the. Streets. It was uh, so. I think it was. It was really cool. I I didn't um, even imagine uh, s- so many people. Uh, so 
yeah, it was and, and I, uh, um, I saw that um, Attila Walter, so the Hungarian riders, they just uh, they posted that they didn't imagine that, so it was like, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, we don't understand what's being said and written in media, but what's the media coverage? been like because for example yesterday we were in a taxi coming back from the time trial and there was a the tv was on the tv news was on in the taxi and you hear the word one word that you do understand is giro d'italia and i was sitting there imagining well thinking to myself that that's probably a, a word that most hungarians had no idea what it meant what it was up yes. until maybe up until a few hours ago in some cases but it seems to be well it, it's all over the media this weekend yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, for this week, for this weekend, it was uh, this. This was more popular just for a couple of days than football. <laughs> yeah. Simon Yates, one-time trial win in his career at Paris-Nice. This year, at the same race, he'd look good on brand new equipment after a sponsor change at Bike Exchange, and he looks so good here that he even took time out of the former world champion. An incredible performance from Simon Yates. Five seconds quicker than Tom Dumoulin, the time trial of his career. A handful of seconds the difference. Fodderpool unable to be as good as Yates in the TT. He was mightily close, Yates celebrating a first ever Grand Tour time trial stage win for the man from Northwest England. I'm a big fan of taking these races outside the traditional country. I think, you know, what we've, what we've done with the sport over the last 20 years, we have globalised the sport. You know, you look at the sport 30, 40 years ago, it was a Western European sport. Taking the Giro, taking the Tour or the Vuelta to countries that aren't tradition, haven't got a traditional cycling culture, it only benefits our sponsors and the sport in general. So I was impressed by the crowds. Unfortunately, didn't get a, get a good chance to have a look around Budapest because it looks like a very beautiful city. But uh, due to COVID and the fact that we were quite busy, didn't get a good look around. But uh, our team does the Tour of Hungary, which starts next week, and we've been here a few times and won the race before. But I think uh, taking these races outside of Italy uh, yeah, benefits everyone. And very lastly, I mean, what about the politics of a country like Hungary? I mean, that's a big talking point in countries like the UK, the US, Australia. Is that something that, that flickers on your radar or the radars of the team? As you mentioned, there is a tour of Hungary which you've raced and then suddenly the spotlight gets turned on when a grand tour comes here. I mean, uh, there's a sort of inconsistency there, isn't there, as well? There is, but as you know, there's a lot of inconsistencies, inconsistencies around our sport in general. And, and, and unfortunately, like... The world we live in, money talks, doesn't it? Maybe now's the time to get into politics, but I would be lying if I said I didn't think about what's going on here and and and, uh, and the, the political system that is in place in this country. But yeah, it's 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 unfortunately, you know, money drives our our industry, and uh, we're here. And you know, the, the guys, you know, the, the people of Hungary, aren't making those decisions, or they are to a certain extent because they're they're voting for certain people. We try to keep sport and politics separate. I know it's sometimes difficult, but uh, it's been they put, they put on a good show, and uh, it is a, it is a culture that is building in its in its awareness of cycling. And you know, 10 or 15 years ago, there was no uh, no Hungarian riders, and uh, we've got a couple of good ones in the World Tour floating around at the moment, haven't we?
as you said, it's an expensive sport, and that generally when people do get into cycling, they want to be in good equipment. You know, they want to be in the same equipment that they see, or the same clothing, and ride the same bikes that you know people in Germany, the UK, in Italy um, are, are using. But you know, as we said, I think I don't know what the average national salary is, but it's a lot lower than those countries. And as you've just said, the, the VAT is, is really high. So how much of a barrier is that to cycling growing here? I mean, if I'm paying, if here in your shop, for example, I pay half, half what I would pay in Berlin for a coffee, but then I have to pay the same price for a bike, yeah. for a Canyon bike or whatever it is, I don't know what, which bikes okay. you stock, how do people afford that? Ah, okay. It's really hard to, to explain English, but so for uh, for the people now they are uh, okay with that that normal bike. So it's a good bike. It's like starts at one thousand euros and goes up to I don't know six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand euros. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's okay. And uh, as I see that uh, they spent on the components, the bikes. Uh, it doesn't matter, but not really spent on the uh, apparel. I mean the clothing, and, okay. uh, because, uh, for example, to buy a let me say kind of Rafa or uh, Asos or something like that, pip short for 300 euros. Yeah, it's like it's definitely not cheap. It's definitely not cheap. So I think it's like. Uh, for a I mean, 300 euros. I was talking to your colleague um, Jacob Jakob the other day, and we were talking about the cost of renting apartments. And he said, you know, a 60 square meter apartment in a decent part of Budapest might be three, four hundred euros a month. So, uh, you know, a, a, yeah, maybe four or five, yeah, maybe not that much more than one pair of good, yeah, good yeah, big yeah. shorts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's incredible. Yeah, 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 it's incredible. Yeah, incredible. But. Uh, for example, but uh, once car, if you want to buy a flat here in Budapest, it's like mm, three thousand euros per square meter. Yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's cheaper than uh, Western Europe, but it's definitely not cheap now. So, um, but does, does does all of this mean that cycling? So you know, we've talked about how cycling is becoming more popular will become more popular but does that mean that it's only attract it's only ever going to attract a certain type of probably quite wealthy hungarian realistically it's very difficult for someone for someone who has a, a salary that's below the average to even think about yeah. getting into road cycling yeah absolutely absolutely so and uh, to be honest it's uh, the the price is for for uh, for the good bikes it's like to be honest it's crazy so I maybe I told you that um, I bought a Piaggio uh, scooter uh, six months ago and it was like uh, let me say um, a little bit less than 4,000 euro it's a 125cc yeah so it's a it's a pretty big <laughs> scooter and what kind of bike can you buy for such a let me say low price yeah. uh, almost 4,000 euros you can buy a 
carbon road bike with uh, Shimano 105 group set. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Hi everyone, I'm uh, Jacopo Guarnieri, I'm a writer at the Giro, who's wearing the Transright uh, bracelet at the presentation, so... Um, so basically, um, this was a topic in my mind since a long time, because as you all know, the, the, the law who has been approved in Hungary is backed, uh, I think, uh, middle uh, 21. So um, I spoke about it already in, uh, in December, remember, with, uh, with Walter, with Attila. And I asked him, you know, uh, how is the feeling in the, in the country and so on. So it was, was my idea already a long time ago. And um, and actually, uh, at the beginning, I was I was thinking to to have something uh, uh, with the rainbow flag on, uh, but coincidence, like two weeks before um, before leaving for the Giro, uh, a friend of mine uh, came up with the with this bracelet. So it's more like a transsexual people uh, flag, um, which he told me the the whole story, which was behind the cyclocross uh, world championship where it was. Uh, probably seen a little bit more worldwide um, so I thought like it was perfect because um, I didn't know actually what kind of support to use you know like simple as that you know and uh, so there was a bracelet it was easy to to put on and um, so I decided to do on the presentation while on stage so it was um, yeah kind of a, a silent but not silent message just quickly if I can follow up Jacopo can you just Recap what that you said the story about the cyclocross uh, world championship. He told me that he was um, it was taking place in uh, if I'm not wrong Wisconsin and uh, that they, they, they put in place some some uh, um, I can say in English uh, not reductive some some law that that go against uh, transsexual people. So it was uh, it was wear by by few different riders, but we were talking that mainly were were uh, American riders and not it was not that used uh, by the, the Europeans. Um, so it was a story that it, it was uh, interesting and you know there, there is a there is an organization behind so I, I, I look for some information on internet about this organization right and uh, and it was something good. Uh, I think at the end like um, whatever association, whatever organization is just the messages behind behind it that's good so uh there was uh there was right at this time but it could have been something different you know just uh, it's just the the idea behind it was um, that it was good we're not superheroes, but it was in a moment where it's not like you're untouchable, but uh, they cannot say so uh, in the public for such as, let's say, small thing, uh, something against a foreigner, I think. So I took the chance and the advantage that it was uh, that it was I was in a position a little bit more safe. But of course, I thought also 
maybe I can piss off somebody. I'm not just thinking about maybe um, like the, the the politician or whatever, like something more public, but even like, I said, fuck, maybe in the time show somebody will try to punch me. So <laughs> this I thought, but well, yeah, punch I can sustain, you know. Uh, so I said, okay, why not? It was, uh, after all, it's Europe. So let's try out. I hope that uh, it, in my mind, I was hoping that it was more Europe than uh, than actually they tried to be. So um, I was confident that it could have been, uh, I could have uh, passed the message without uh, taking too much risk. This goes also with politics because this uh, uh, sentiment is uh, uh, well bonded with uh, uh, some far right parties in, in every country. Uh, actually, we're, we're kind of lucky in France, uh, all went well for the moment, but um, it's sure that uh, this this uh, this uh, sentiment of, uh, you know, nationalism and uh, this kind of, I can say, bullshit is growing. And um, uh, but I'm, I'm really confident that all uh, all the new generations, they, they way more. Uh, it's not that they are sensible, they just uh, want to be free. So I'm pretty sure with the, the, the years going by, there will be more and more people uh, really involved into this. So once this, uh, let's say, whole generation of politicians uh, who, who try to use the the, the 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 situation we are in, because of course, when there is a, a pandemic, a, a war uh, that is inside Europe, because yeah. let's not forget there are many, many other wars in the world, but we are talking mainly about Europe now. Um, so they can use this this fear to 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 point uh, the finger to problem. Really simply, do you think the Giro was wrong to go to Hungary? I don't know. Actually, uh, it's hard to say. It's not. There are many things involved, and also the things come from um, three years ago already, where uh, you know this rule uh, were not yet in place. Um, I'm not an organizer, so I don't know what's behind all the, this, the, those decisions. Uh, if I put in another, if I look on the other side of the medal, let's say we were there and, and I can, I could should show support while we were there. Uh, um, it's hard to say. I don't know. There is, I think, a mix in between, like uh, um, isolate and try to fight from in, from the inside. Um, that's not my decision. Uh, if as you said, like uh, what you said before, like, you know, try to be 100% honest with yourself. There are many places we should not go. Uh, it's not easy. I think it's, uh, it's a hard balance in between, like, uh, fight for what you think is right and uh, and uh, and uh, try to survive in your own job. So uh, it's never and it won't be any easier. I think it's going to be always like this. So um, I think it's not my role to decide the uh, what's behind this, but I can have my personal view. So uh, on some things, I think uh, that it was right to, to, to how do you say, to, to honor the contract. On the other hand, I would say, yeah, maybe not. So, um, yeah. Well, I know this is us. Our Hungarian leg is about to, well, the Hungarian leg of the Giro is about to come to its 
conclusion. It is indeed. We're in Heviz Airport. Lionel, this airport, this very small airport um, on the western edge of Lake Balaton, is going to fill up with the, well, the whole peloton in a couple of hours. I think there are three flights going back to... We're going to Sicily today. We're on the first one, I hope, I think. And as I said, this is the end of our time in Hungary. As we go away today, what what is on your mind and what is in your heart about Hungary and the Jura? Well, I really love Budapest. I thought it was a fantastic city. I can see why it's extremely popular for weekend breaks and I guess for Hindus and Stagdus and that kind of thing. The architecture was stunning and I couldn't help noticing, I mean it was it was a very white city. I didn't see very many non-white faces at all, but that's not necessarily... No, that's the case of a lot of places in Central Europe, isn't it? Exactly, in Central Europe and Eastern Europe that is not unusual, but I suppose coming from uh, the UK you do notice that. Um, in terms of... Oh, I've been thinking a lot about this and Orban and where does the line between you know right-wing, far-right-wing and then into fascism and authoritarianism, where, where are those lines? And, of course, there aren't lines. There's, there's, a, there's a kind of merging, isn't there? And I suppose when I think about the politics of the UK and the right of the UK to host big sporting events. I mean, I'm going to go to the Women's Euros football in the summer after the Tour de France. I've got a ticket for the semi-final. And I was thinking, if I was there at the game and a foreign journalist came up to me and said, what do you think of the UK government's plan, the Home Secretary Priti Patel's plan to deport asylum seekers from the UK to Rwanda for processing, I'd be kind of absolutely taken aback by... Um, by that question and I would say well I'm appalled by it I didn't vote for that kind of policy and I don't support it and so I can kind of see why the question would be asked but I can also see that while you cannot divorce politics from the population you can divorce people from the politics in a way Yes Lionel and well we've talked about the impossibility of divorcing bike racing from politics particularly when it leans in so keenly to things like you know the, the, there's always a celebration of um, historical events, anniversaries Budapest became what it became and has become a sort of international destination international brand because of politics because of having been controlled by various people at, at different times um, the Giro, it's often seemed as though as is the case with other bike races it's wanted to have its cake and eat it it's wanted to globalise, it's wanted to exploit international markets but it's been less keen to confront the, the differences in cultural sensibilities which may then lead to questions and that's what's happened here I think in the Giro's case there's no excuse for not being prepared because they they had a dry run as it were with Israel three or four years ago so they should and could have anticipated the questions but you know as you say it's not a binary thing is it while the race and the racing and cycling cannot divorce itself completely from wider issues we can also say that that is perhaps you know these these concerns that we have or concerns that other people have, they don't have to completely overshadow other aspects of, in this case, the weekend, other aspects of the race. And, you know, they don't detract from the fantastic time the Hungarian people have had this weekend, the fantastic legacy it's going to have for Hungarian cycling. As long as you fit the Hungarian leader's idea of the people that should be included in these things, you know, that's, that's where it gets difficult for me. You know, sports governing bodies, and I'm not singling out the Giro or even cycling here, but sports governing bodies, 
they have all of their charters and they, they profess to be open and inclusive and be in favour of you know, diversity, whether that be um, people of different races and religions or whether it be LGBT people. Um, I mean, I, I'm always very aware that I'm talking from the point of view of a straight, white, middle-class, middle-aged man. And so I, I, there's an, an aspect of feeling uncomfortable with talking on behalf of anyone who doesn't fit into my particular um, you know, uh, my particular profile, I guess. But the sports want to have both sides of it, don't they? They want to have the money from the liberal supporters of the sport who um, have broader uh, views, but then they want to take the money from the authoritarian regimes that have increasingly are on the forefront of hosting events like this. There's no, it's no um, uh, accident that the Football World Cup is in Qatar and that the, the Giro d'Italia has come to Hungary. That's because they're the people who want to pay the money to have these events. And so when people say to us, keep politics out of the sport, that is absolutely impossible. The only reason the Giro d'Italia was here in Hungary is because it was a political decision. Well, Lionel, I think they're calling us for our flight. So whatever we think about Hungary, we're going to have to leave it now. And we will well, we'll resume our Giro coverage in Sicily, where, you know, fortunately, there'll be no talk of politics. We're, we're out of the frying pan into the fire, Daniel. <laughs> The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.